And let me just make sure my phone switched off. Is that a Mario game? I don't know. I was just following your lead. <laughs> oh, were we um, jamming then for a second? <laughs> you could try some of your legendary beatboxing, and I could just do some beeps and boops over the top of it. <laughs> no, I, you see, now it's just become a thing. I, uh, I mentioned it at work. You don't want to be a cliche, do you, Nick? No, no, I'm not a performing monkey. Performing <laughs> um, monkey might be able to do quite good beatbox. I've actually, because Noah seems to really, really like it, I've actually started to convince myself that, it, you know, I'm stringing together rhythms. I know it's not the beatboxes that I'm used to hearing, the the cool ones that I think uh, I, I think I'd, I'd aspire to, but at least I've got a rhythm and a beat and stuff. And then I heard an actual beatbox person on um, a podcast, another podcast I listened to the other day, and I thought, fuck, it's just embarrassing, really, isn't it? A grown man who records my voice spitting <laughs> it into my own mouth and then beams it out to the world as if the world should somehow give me a fucking cookie for it. <laughs> um, and what's interesting is the world does give me fucking cookies for it in uh, the form of people being nice about the podcasts, but but not about my beatboxing. Maybe you needed to do themed beatboxing. That was the problem. You did generic beatboxing um what you should have done is um something to do with a holiday theme obviously the halloween thing had been covered so what you could have done is um guy fawkes beatboxing uh guy like fawkes beatboxing. yeah yeah but instead of like like that it's like because they're fireworks so you're doing fireworks That's noises. That's pretty cool. See, and I think you probably could have got some mileage out of that, but we're already, this is the day of recording, the 6th of November, so already one day past. Shit. Yeah, I know. By the time this thing goes out, you might as well be jingling your bells. I could maybe do, yeah, some sort of jingle bells thing. You know, have you actually listened to that? Because when you just did that beatboxy bit then, it suggested to me that you haven't heard my beatbox because <laughs> yours, yours sounded like an actual beatbox i haven't no shit yours sounded like an actual beatbox you're musical and shit i was just making a couple of noises you were spitting into your own mouth but apparently that's all you have to do i, I think i don't know no it's just not as good i'm just embarrassed now i'm humiliated i think i think the problem is is you've confused beatboxing with stuttering horse <laughs> Was he one of the uh, Navajos? <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yeah, he was. He was in the village people. Whew. Whew, eh? Oh, let's stretch it all out. <clears throat> I can't. I'm trying not to. Uh, I'm trying not to drink fluids this time because I've uh, over the last few days I've I've realised that if I uh, take in any fluids, I I seem to need to go to the toilet really soon afterwards. I'm not sure what that's Just all going about. right through you. Yeah, I might have an infection, or I might be diabetic, or I might be pregnant. These these are all things that people have suggested <laughs> to me. So the fluid goes in through the mouth, through the body, and out through a penis. Yes. And we're talking about happiness. Yes, hot penis. Oh, hot, hot penis. Hot, hot penis. penis. The greatest gift that I possess. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually a James Kachalka song called Hot Penis that he sings with his son, um, which I'd always oh, yes, assumed... yes, 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 yeah. yeah, I know the one. Which I'd always assumed was about him encouraging his son to explain when he had something going wrong with his underparts. But actually, it hadn't occurred to me that it sounds like 
happiness. <laughs> I can't remember what the closing line was. But it was something like, hot penis, hot penis. Penis. Oh, I got a hot penis now. Yeah, that's it. That's it, yeah. yeah. I don't think it's about having a, a, a sexy penis. I no. think it's about having a, a penis that burns. <laughs> but, you know, ha- happiness is a hot penis, I think, is what we've established. I always thought it was a cigar called Hamlet. When I was thinking about this, I yes. was uh, running through all of the different things I know about that word. I know that there's a song sung by a very glum James Bolan, or the impression is that it's sung by a very glum James Bolan uh, from the TV programme Only When I Laugh, which uh, goes, I'm H-A-P-P-Y, I'm H-A-P-P-Y. I know I am. I'm sure I am. I'm H-A-P-P-Y. That's right, yeah. Which pretty much sums up everything that was great about a certain sort of sitcom, British sitcom <laughs> at that time. Yeah. They, they were all basically about... I think it was set in a, a home where these three guys were convalescing. And I think I always thought, well, they're just at the doctors. They're, they're just at a hospital. It's fine. But I suspect they were actually getting over sort of... They never seem to leave. No. So I think the subtext is that there was a very good chance they were going to die there. I don't know. I, um, maybe I need to go back and explore the wiki on that. But yeah, it's yeah. A, a very specific sort of British sitcom uh, from that period, and I suppose now, which uh, is basically about glum, sardonic men. <laughs> and uh, and I really appreciate and can relate to those shows. When uh, when you suggested you wanted to uh, talk about happiness today, my immediate reaction is to become quite adverse, ad- adversarial about it. Well, it isn't real, is it? It's just chemicals. <laughs> I mean, we've established that uh, we've established that it's all just chemicals, but this is the the biggest lie of, lie of all because it's just a few endorphins that they make you feel elated and good for a really short amount of time, and then you're just back to normal. Uh, you're back to needing to go to the toilet or needing to eat something or something. <laughs> yeah. Just a, a short respite from the horrible things that are going on in your body. Unanswered. By way of a very clunky introduction, we're talking. About, we're talking about happiness. <laughs> Hi, I'm happy. Hi. Are you having a good time? I actually really am because I don't want to get I don't want to get schmaltzy and I don't want this to become another podcast. But well, it will be another podcast. Well, I mean, it, it will be another. Yeah, once it's edited and released. But when I was thinking about this earlier, I was at work. It was very difficult to imagine. Uh, that I'd ever been really happy. I mean, you know, sometimes content, maybe every now and then someone says something funny and and, and for a minute you're feeling that the bubble of despair bursts a little bit, Mm. but never really happy. And then um, I got home and I hadn't seen my wife or son for a couple of days. And he's still young enough that he doesn't hate me. So I saw him and he smiled. It wasn't wind. He was so genuinely happy to see me and it was so uh, unfettered because they're idiots, babies. They don't know. Um, They they don't know anything except, oh, this makes me happy. Oh, that's a shiny light. That makes me happy. Mm. Um, Oh, stinky bottom I, I i'm not happy i want to cry and he was very happy to see me and i i reflected it back at him i was completely in that moment i was like oh uh, actually yeah uh 
maybe I do understand what happiness is. It's just I literally had to get to the age of 40 and <laughs> uh, impregnate someone <laughs> to find out. And, of course, that's just a lie. That's just chemicals as well, kind of. And then a, a combination of chemicals and happy, nice, pleasant experiences Mm. that sort of build up the the synapses and the connections are all are all tying up so that when i see him i'm happy because initially there was a chemical reaction and now there's a familiarity and it's good and we've got about four or five years of this before he starts to really challenge uh, my supremacy as the man in the house which he'll deftly win yeah and, and then it's a fight to the death that <laughs> I'm, I'm going to lose eventually <laughs> Hopefully, I'm going to lose. That's what we've got to look for. Because what, by, by, by about the time he's, what, age six or age seven, he'll be taller than you already. Yeah, no, that's, that's true, because his, <laughs> his mum is taller than me, so yes. <laughs> what if he grows up to be just towering, like there's some freaky gene and he's six foot tall? Well, apparently they're always taller than their mum. Unless the dad's a, a small little person, sure. I think you know, or, or there's some condition. Um, apparently, boys are always taller than their mum, or they're, they're supposed to be. And so, and she's really she's quite tall for a girl. So, um, yeah, he might be. And you know, his real dad is is probably incredibly lanky. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, he looked too much like me when he came out. That's that was a silly. That joke. was the test, wasn't it? That's what you were waiting for. Yeah. <laughs> All this time. I've seen these scans, but I could never really be sure. But once he popped out, I knew he was the real deal. Also, I collected some DNA uh, right then and scooped it straight off for a test. <laughs> yeah, with the uh, home testing kit from uh, Amazon that you'd ordered. Yeah, there's on a few of the podcasts I listen to, they are advertising uh, this DNA testing service where you can uh, you send a little uh, some spit. I think. Oh, okay. And uh, after a few days, they send you back, and it's like $90 or something. This full, and they suggest it, it, it's for health reasons. They'll look at your DNA and they'll come back with this full background makeup of uh, like where your family is, like what your family probably was, what they were like, and, mm. and whether or not there are likely to be any conditions that are in there. Um, I'm not sure how that really relates to our subject. It seems like I'm going off the subject, except that if I think about it, I think most of my uh, aunties and uncles and my parents and, and probably my grandparents as well, except for my uh, gran on my father's side, seem to be unified by this sort of quite serious, almost frowny demeanour and um, just being discontent all the time, never quite being happy with anything. And so it's possible that the reason, the way I am, the cynicism I have about this subject is genetic, and I really didn't stand a chance. It isn't my personality. I don't have any choice. Which makes me realise I actually do have stuff to say about this subject, so that's good. Oh, good. <sighs> I didn't imagine for a second that we would be spending this episode just kind of like kicking back and talking about, oh, how wonderful life is, and uh, all the little things that just make us smile. Good. Um, it's like a, an examination, basically, into the concept, if you like, of happiness. And it's happiness as opposed to happy, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Because I think, as, as you've already said, and, and as we would both recognise, is that happiness is just an emotion, right? Um, and that it is an equally weighted emotion amongst a whole bunch of other ones, which are kind of on a degrading scale of positivity all the way down into negativity, the state of being happy is kind of like being the best emotion. Yeah. And, then, and then you've got all sorts of other stuff involving fear or surprise or repulsion and, you know, all sorts of different stuff like that. It's the one that we value the most. 
And it seems to be the one that we, as humans, as people, value the most treasure and try and aim to own and hold on to for as long as possible. There is this emotion called happiness that in many respects is temporary. We can't necessarily say truthfully that every moment of our life is happy. And in fact, some moments in our life might be quite emotionally neutral. We're not actually experiencing any particular emotion over any other. But there is this, and you could say it's spiritual, there is this need, there is this desire, there is this belief. We must pursue happiness. We must be happy and live a happy life and be in a state of happiness, not just temporarily, but for as much of the time as possible, which then puts one emotion kind of weighted over all the other. Um, this could well be quite a difficult subject to go into in that respect and trying to balance that against everything else, because, of course, no one wants to live most of their life fearful no one wants to live most of their life in anger no one wants one you know even beyond those who wants to spend much time at all being disgusted or displeased um to favor one over over all others is and this is where i'll hand it over to you but to favor one over all the others is to sort of deny the full spectrum of living isn't it Oh, for sure. And it's it's quite a futile, it's kind of inviting frustration in. When you're naming all of the different emotions, the interesting thing about uh, happiness among them is it feels like it's the most ephemeral. You know when you're scared, you feel your heart rate go up, you know that sort of you can feel your muscles contort a little bit depending on what sort of fear it is and it's so mm. revulsion and anger and... Um, even horniness and all of those things, they all feel very specific and you, you know you're feeling them at the time. But for me, certainly, happiness is kind of nebulous. Different people seem to experience it in different ways. It's very tied up with contentment, which I'm not even sure is... Is it an emotion or is it a state of being or is there really a difference? I'm not sure, but we might argue that contentment is a smarter thing to chase after i'm sure there are religions mm. i don't know if but buddhism would uh, i imagine is probably more about trying to reach some sort of balance between all of the different things and some sort of calm where everything's kind of exactly what you said i think it's about the pursuit of everything kind of being in a certain amount of balance and you're at the middle of this storm of all of these different things that are going on with you yeah. happiness seems to be defined by its absence most of the time by which i mean Okay, on the one hand, you know when you're not happy because you're sad and it's things are crap and you want things to be better, but that's what I mean, the striving for it. There's that old phrase that you don't know what you've got till it's gone and there's all of these different things about how you don't appreciate the happy times. I'm conflating a whole bunch of different ideas and the sense you get from them is that what they're saying is you should be appreciative of every little nice thing that comes your way. Another thing you can take away from it is, of all of the different emotions you can have, you're constantly trying to be happy, but maybe you, most of the time you genuinely don't know. It's like um, it's the top of the heap, uh, but you don't necessarily know you've been there until you're on your way back down from it on the other side like bipolarity you maybe don't know that you've got as manic as it's possible for you to get until you start not feeling that manic anymore the edge starts coming off it wow that's reductive <laughs> <laughs> but i mean mental health of course does come into it because it's like it's all uh, that that's where the whole chemistry side of things 
comes in where mm. all of this is about pumping endorphins and firing synapses in a way that gets these things going and actually sometimes you do chase after other things you do chase after fear sometimes we watch horror movies because we want to be scared because then we feel relieved afterwards relief is another emotion that's kind of i think is almost more satisfying than happiness you're feeling it in sharp contrast to having gone through something unpleasant yes whereas happiness is something that you're constantly after and, you know, it's like really, really wanting for there to have been a Superman film out for ages and ages and ages. And you want it to be epic enough that you get to see him smashing in a huge fight with someone out, like with someone who's roughly the same power as him. And then you watch Man of Steel and it's kind of like nothing you're really striving for ever lives up to it at all. And that's kind of one way that I think it's possible to look at happiness. It's a particularly bleak way to look at it. <laughs> There's a, a weird sort of satisfaction to a lot of the other emotions. Like, it's not a particularly healthy thing, but sometimes it's really good to get properly angry about something. It's going to be no surprise to anyone who's known me for any stretch of time I'd say something like that. When you know that you're right, or when you know that you've got the right to be angry about something, it can be really satisfying to chase after any of the emotions and then actually uh, all of the emotions can get a bit narcotic i guess like any sort of chemical at all yeah um the, the, you know i'm pretty sure you'll be able to relate to this sometimes when you've had a a, a really bad setback like a, a relationship falling apart or, mm. or problems at work or something like that you get depressed and that's your immediate reaction but sometimes you can really chase after that feeling and really kind of get some almost comfort in completely inhabiting that feeling we're, we're not supposed to do that and it's not really healthy to do that but i think you're right that it's happiness is the thing that we're supposed to strive for that's the thing we're supposed to you're not supposed to um really chase after a negative a so-called negative emotion but what you see most of the time is i don't think chasing after depression or chasing after anger or chasing after fear leaves quite as many unsatisfied people as chasing after this perfect idealized dream that we're supposed to be going after all the time you're supposed to be trying to trying to reach this heavenly state of uh, everything being great and you just smiling all the time and most of the time when you get there you get a few minutes to really enjoy it like i really really was happy at my wedding it was great uh, there was relief tied up in that but at the same time i was really happy i knew where i was supposed to be i knew that i was there with the right person and that was all great and I'm not meaning to understate that relationship. I'm still in the right place. But once you've had that perfect moment of happiness, it's way more difficult to attain again than any of the other any of the other feelings. And it's such a, a rush, but it's it's not like the um triggers for it are as easy for us to identify there's a law of diminishing returns to them that isn't necessarily the case with fear and anger and all of those things. The same things will, the same things can quite often get us angry. Sometimes they get us angrier. The, the things that get us angry will sometimes get us angrier over time. Mm. But with happiness, it's like I understand opiates can be. The more insanely happy you feel at one particular time, it's more difficult to get that same buzz again. And so you spend your whole time chasing after it, and everyone spends their whole time chasing after it, and you're seen as a problem 
if you aren't spending your whole time chasing after it. Well, on the same level, you can be seen as a problem if you spend too much time chasing after it, if you become uh, self-absorbed in that pursuit, in going down a particular route in order to find your happiness, and you close off lots of other things, and it may well be you're closing off other people or other aspects of your life, in which case that can, to other people, appear just as selfish. Yeah, you can become painfully irritating hippie. I'm reminded of, and again, I think this is why Curb Your Enthusiasm isn't for everyone, but Ted Danson's character in Curb Your Enthusiasm. You hear uh, Larry David, who is the main character in Curb Your Enthusiasm, talking about Ted Danson before you see him. And Ted Danson plays himself, but obviously it's a a fictionalised version of himself. But when he's talking about Ted Danson, I think it takes a certain sort of character to understand what he's what he's saying why he takes such exception because his wife's talking about how lovely this guy is and he's just like well have you not noticed how everything with him is just beautiful and what he's essentially describing is that ted danton's kind of a nice guy who sees the good in things but larry david's really irritated by it and then when you see ted danson literally everything is he, he's like that he he sees a table he thinks it's he says it's beautiful and he's seeing the good in it And I think that's the sort of thing you're talking about, maybe. It's really one note, and it can be quite exhausting being around people like that. And a lot of people don't understand that it can be exhausting being around people like that. But cynics and pragmatists like us, we we, we probably understand it. This is is going to be the thing, obviously, um, like you were saying earlier about... um how it becomes harder to achieve happiness if you're doing the same thing again and again because there's diminishing returns. But then perhaps we both come from a more cynical perspective. There'll be other people listening who who might beg to differ because their outlook is different or their emotional makeup is slightly different. And therefore, it's trying to put ourselves alongside of Ted Danson, who has that different perspective. That means that it's easier to look at things in a more positive, less cynical way. The world looks different to them and they experience different emotions from it, even though that we're both looking at the same object. And so the view that we will have of happiness and our relationship to it would be different from someone from their perspective, which is obviously going to colour the way that we're going to be talking about it. But and like any any emotional state, if sustained for too long, is going to be exhausting. Not yeah. just from the audience or from the people around that person, but but from that person themselves. Because until an emotion um, recedes, um, you can't really form... This is a stretch, but you can't really form any memories, if you like. Yeah. You know, if you have a sustained period of any emotion, it's taking up a lot of your time, attention and energy. But while you're in that moment and you live that moment, regardless of how long it lasts for, you don't really seal that memory, if you like. Once that emotion, whether it's fear, anger, disgust, uh, excitement, joy, once that starts to recede and you come back to a, a neutral or more neutral state, you can't form a memory, put that to one side and recall it later. I think that makes sense. And that, yeah. it, you can't you can't therefore until that happens you can't like set a bar for what you should be either avoiding or, or seeking more of in the future. Really I think the point more than anything is that any one emotion I mean, when you think about the times in your life where you've had a strong emotion amongst all others it it does become quite distracting and all encompassing in a way in the respect that you might feel relief when you come out of of, of a sustained negative period that may be when you come out of a sustained positive period, that's the only point where you can actually start reflecting on it. 
you can't necessarily value that moment of happiness, that positive emotion, until it's over. Yeah. Is what I'm getting at. I, I, was, I was trying to come up with an, an-, an analogy that I realised that um, I was basically describing the reason why I'm, uh, I'm not very good with computers, and then I was trying mm. to think of something else. It's like, um, I can't think of anything. I, don't, I clearly don't do enough mechanical things. It's one of my key editing points, is having to take out bits where one of us is essentially saying the same thing that the other one said. Yeah, no, that's true. But the other thing about your editing, editing points is sometimes you don't know. It can be quite difficult to unpick the point at which somebody really started to get to something golden <laughs> oh. until, until they've got to it, which I guess is kind of... And if, and if I was a real professional... <laughs> Uh, I'd be able to work out in my head what it feels like when I'm getting to a point and then I'd be able to harness that and I'd be able to get to more points and they'd make more sense and that'd be great. But I don't have the capacity to do that. Uh, It's very difficult for a mind to look at itself. Oh, that's good, isn't it? Oh, yeah. There's one for the preview. It's very difficult for something to observe itself. And that's what yeah. we're essentially talking about when it when it comes to trying to attain this. And and I know we've kind of gone around it a, a bit, but most of the other emotions are that much more visceral and it is that much more easy to see what external things trigger them. Fear is really the best one. And it's not the opposite of happiness. And that's kind of the point, I think. Mm. Um, fear is the best thing. You know you're scared of spiders, so you try and avoid spiders or you try and deal with the fact that you're scared of spiders. Um, and you've got something that you can get hold of and you can work on because fear is so straightforward. It might not be straightforward why you're scared of spiders, but that's a whole different thing. Absolutely. Um, but with happiness, it's so weird. And uh, the word that I learned the other day perfectly applies to it, which is qualia. That's the word, isn't it? Yeah. The, uh, the, the things, feelings and uh, items, sensations that are completely subjective. And happiness, more than any of the other emotions we've talked about, is is completely subjective. It feels like philosophy and some of the Eastern religions maybe had a better handle on this than most of the Western ones, which seem to be more about punishment and external forces driving the way you behave and making sure you behave properly. Mm. Whereas... Uh, everything I've heard about Buddhism and a little bit I've heard about um, Sikhism and Hinduism uh, as well, I think, kind of, as I said earlier on, they're kind of more about balance, but they are much more just about that. It's like it's funny, though, in those cases, because it's like when they mention happiness, what they actually mean is, as you said earlier, is like contentment, is like peace. It's not a case of valuing one emotion over all the others. It's quite separate. It's looking at a lot of the trials and tribulations of life as suffering. Yeah. And so the, the peace that you attain is by correctly handling suffering. It's not about avoiding suffering. It's being able to handle it correctly and being at peace with those trials. It's not about whipping those things so bloody hard that you feel like the victor. It's not about winning yeah. It's not a strategy to win. It's a case of, yeah, of balance, of just being good at managing this stuff. It's not waiting one thing over another. It's just achieving the calm, achieving the peace, uh, an entente cordiale amongst all of your emotions. There's kind of an attitude that, like, try not to be a jerk, but all of these emotions are going to be part of you, and there's really nothing you can do about that. I always think of it as um, almost when you, when you say peace, that's kind of defined by it's almost resignation. 
the resignation is one of those terms that is generally has uh, negative connotations, but I have come not to think of it that way. And I'm sure this is something I've mentioned in, in past episodes. It's like, it is a positive thing, really, to realise that there are certain things that you are not going to control and you're only going to drive yourself nuts trying to control them. So the, the best really, the best really you can do is rise above them sounds again like you're trying to attain some some level of control or something but it isn't really that it's it's just kind of to get out of the way of them a little bit to sort of say well okay i'm gonna get angry i don't have to let it ruin uh my whole week whenever i hear peace these days i always think of resignation and then i think i have spent a lot of time feeling a lot worse than I do now. It's very difficult not to fall into that paradigm of using the words happy and unhappy because they fit. And someone looking at me from outside would say, oh, he seems happier now than he did five years ago. or t- Well, not five years ago, sorry, ten years ago yeah. or, or whatever. And then if I explained how I'm thinking now or how I'm feeling, it would confuse the hell out of them. And it does confuse <laughs> the hell out of people. Yeah, I can see what you mean there, actually, yeah, in terms of okay, fine, circumstances might have changed and I might uh, I might be relating to some of my newer circumstances in a way that to you seems better, but I've still mm. got the same bunch of questions kicking around in my head. Yeah. I'm just kind of at peace with the fact that I might not get answers to them. <laughs> yeah. And that just asking them is kind of, in terms of personally how I relate with the world, just being the sort of person who asks those questions and considers these things um, I I value that, but I don't let it tear me up as much as I used to. It used to bother me a lot that I didn't understand the world around me and that things didn't make sense to me. And sometimes it can still get frustrating because none of us is perfect, you know. And sure, it's kind yeah. of so. So it, it, this this isn't something that I decided I was going to be resigned about. This it wasn't some sort of epiphany I had. It's just I have definitely described this before. Things got so bad at one point due to things that were going on that I honestly thought this is I want to you know not i want to die but i want this to be over this is literally life can't get worse than this i've since found that there are worse things but that's besides the point um but then once you come through those things afterwards and you're still alive and you still have to find the rent and stuff like that i think in in, in this particular time things got so bad it became very difficult for me not to start thinking well i survived that (laughs) That was that was pretty bad. I don't imagine it getting much worse than that. So maybe I worry about this stuff too much. Maybe I'm too worried about how things feel to me a lot of the time. Maybe I should just allow myself to feel these things and then kind of move on from them a little bit. Having a dog helps with this, by the way, Steve. Does it? it, it yeah, if you've got to look after a dog... <laughs> You really don't get to mope that much. It's, I guess it's the same if you've got a child or something. I don't know. Um, I guess this was the first, uh, the, what I'm describing is the first time in my life that I got properly depressed, but I actually had something else to look after as well. And it just kind of throws it all into sharp relief that you, we spend a lot of time worrying about how we're feeling and how we'd like to feel better and not enough time thinking about how like kind of crazy and ridiculous and nuts this all is and maybe that's enough fun and excitement and we don't we don't need to complicate it any further than that well that's that's interesting though isn't it because um in some ways we don't really focus on the emotion that we're having right now and it's more about either an abundance or an absence 
you can't always measure everything as, as an absence or abundance of happiness as, a, as if that's mm. the only thing that matters, but obviously it's pertinent to what we're talking about. But um, because you, you were so fixed on, let's say, an absence of happiness, because your sources of happiness had been removed, what you yeah. identified at that moment in time as being a source of happiness, because that had been removed and you felt the absence, it sort of clouded your judgment on any other emotion that you may have been having in amongst feeling down because of this absence, i.e. you have a dog you know, <laughs> that's still relying quite heavily on you. And in its own way would provide you with some emotion, hopefully positive. Some relief. Yeah, but yeah. But that's being clouded because there's something else that's sort of overrunning your synapses. You see what I mean? No, absolutely. And it's interesting because when you frame it like that, it sounds really reductive to say that what we're basically talking about is a breakup. This was quite a difficult thing and it involved housing situations and stuff like that as well that got pretty difficult and it bad. gets it gets messier as we get older doesn't it yeah yeah it, it kind of does and this this could be about almost every breakup i've ever had you're right that what it feels like is the thing that the only thing that could make you happy the source of all happiness in your life is gone and you're left completely in the dark that's what it feels like mm. but in almost every one of those breakups and certainly in this last one what you sometimes end up getting to I mean, perfectly lovely relationships fall apart all the time. Just not that many of them. Um, what you actually realise is it isn't the absence of happiness. Again, it's that striving I was talking about. You weren't actually happy. You haven't lost the source of your happiness. You've lost the thing that you were convinced was going to make you happy at yes. some nebulous point yes. in the future the whole time you were in it. And that can be about a job. It can be about the attainment of money it can be any number of different things you haven't actually lost the thing that made you happy in most of those situations the reason you were still trying the whole time was because you weren't happy you just thought you would be at some point in the future the source of your longing for happiness <laughs> I, don't, I don't know you, you decided you decided that this thing or this person was going to be your path to happiness at some point but Indeed. most of the time, they actually weren't. There were just glimpses of it. Maybe early in the relationship, it felt like that's what they were. And maybe early in the relationship, that's what they actually were. But chances are you just saw the potential for happiness at some point if you kept going down this path. And it's that potential that gets taken away from you when that whole all ends and you're stuck in one room of a house because the landlord's kind of lied to you about the situation you were going to be in and you don't really know what's going on and you've got a dog and uh, you're not sure if you can ever imagine going back to work again. I'm speaking generally, obviously, when I say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. That's, uh, <laughs> but that's a, a, a really good way at looking at how we attribute an emotional outcome from things and situations and people, which uh, in terms of relationships, obviously, yeah, you know, they wouldn't have started if there wasn't some sort of source of happiness or pleasure or whatever coming from it. But it's then how much and how quickly you invest yourself in that before really truly recognizing whether it's bearing the fruit you think it will. And of course, that's life's gamble. You have to live this stuff in order to figure that out. You can't easily pull it up in, in an Excel spreadsheet and work it out beforehand. You've just got to get in there and it either works or it doesn't. But the rules are, are, are always changing while you play that game. If things were never really going to work out, you've still got the two players figuring out 
whether that's true or not, if you see what I mean, whether um, they've recognized it and are in denial or want or are actively trying to change it or are actively trying to run away from it. You've, you've kind of hit on something else there, and that's... There I, don't want this, I don't want this to be too much about love. I need to pull it back into happiness. No, no, but... absolutely. Um, but there's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of moving parts to each. Every one of us and every one of our lives has a lot of moving parts to it, yes. and it's very difficult to really try and organise any of that and point it at a particular goal, um, even though we convince ourselves that's what we've done sometimes. And when you're in a, a relationship with uh, one specific other person, you tend to assume that both of you are hoping for happiness or you're, that's what you're trying to attain. But there's that qualia thing again, that what happiness means means different things to different people. For some yeah. people it means uh they they get the attention for some people it means just knowing where they've got to go home to every night that there's a comfortable place to go but then when you expand that out to the other places where we look for happiness people looking for happiness in their job or in um social settings like go hanging out with their friends or whatever there's that thing again if we want to be scared we can all go and watch a horror movie or go on a roller coaster or whatever some of us will have different tolerances for different experiences, but generally if 10 of us all want to get scared because we think that'll be exhilarating, we can all go to roller coaster or we can all go watch whatever the latest supposedly terrifying horror movie is. And some <laughs> of us will think it's daft and stuff. But in theory, we're all heading in roughly the same direction. If we're all in a pub and there's 10 of us and we're all trying to be happy, which is what we're all trying to do, well, some of us are happy, some of us feel like what makes us happy is um, arguing about uh, being right about a film. Or some of us think that what's going to make us happy is drinking. We were watching one of those fly-on-the-wall things uh, the other week. I say we, I mean my wife was, and I was uh, watching it from the doorway, (laughs) which I'm sure I've described before my doorway viewing. Um, (laughs) And there was a girl on it who they, her and her, her boyfriend had had a housewarming party. And she said, um, yeah, we got quite drunk. Uh, I didn't get as drunk as I normally do, though. I was only sick three times. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and I mean... The uh, and it's possible that she was exaggerating for that because the cameras were there. Obviously, it's all sure. like a- affected by that. The thing is, we know that there are people who think that is, or maybe you know, it does make them happy as far as they understand happiness. And so, if there's ten of you and you're all going out and you're all trying to be happy in the pub, there's a very good chance that most of you are going to be disappointed by the end of that night, unless yeah. you're the one who gets happy because they're by being unconscious, in which case you're, you're probably going to get what you want out of but, the I mean, night, I can, so that's I can, fine. I can certainly relate to that, especially when it's like going out with friends down the pub, you know. Mm. Kind of calling back from my own experience, there were certainly times when people would go out on a Friday or Saturday night because that's what you did. Yeah. That was the thing they did to enjoy themselves and happiness came from it. Sometimes I wasn't in the mood for it. Most of the time, I, as time went well, on, yeah, wasn't. Yeah, as time goes on, it's just like, this is ridiculous. Why am I doing this? Surrounded by a whole bunch of people who I don't know, who are, you know, slowly losing control of themselves. This mm. actually isn't very pleasurable at all. The only reason why it ever was pleasurable is because I was so obliterated, I didn't notice any of it. Yeah. If, if you didn't feel like going out, or if you had gone out and you weren't in the same spirit, 
as other people. Not necessarily that they were offended, but, you know, they noticed. And they would try and cajole you into having an inverted commas, a better time. Which obviously, you know, isn't helping me have a better time if I'm being no, nudged and pushed. And, and yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it sort of draws you away from the whole experience even more. But no, I mean, that's, that's, that's a good point. I mean, if, you know, if we're going out and we're, we're intending to share our emotions with others, obviously trying to share the same one, generate it for yourself, generate it for someone else and have theirs um, affect you. Because we're all individual and because we all react to things very differently, it can, you know, especially the bigger the group as well, it can really create awkward situations and and, um, almost going back to something you said earlier about how sometimes like other people's extreme happiness can just put us off Mm. because we're not having that experience and, and we don't understand how that experience is happening and can pull us away from the environment that we're in because of it. Just in as much as we might be having a super great time, but no one else seems to understand it. it you can drown in it. It doesn't, it doesn't happen often. It hasn't happened often. I'm generally quite easygoing when it comes to that sort of nights out thing. But there are points, there's that whole thing about being, and this is maybe going into slightly different ground, but there's that whole thing about being lonely in a crowd, which certain people oh, are yeah. more, pr- more prone to than others. And I know I can be. Normally I can allow myself to sort of drift along with what other people are doing. But I think part of uh, the real isolation you can feel when you're in one of those night out situations, and I'm, I'm using the pub as an example just because that's the most intense kind of version of it, but it can happen in a, in your workplace, it can happen in your office, I'm trying to think of another example. Those are literally the only two things I can think of yeah. when you're at work and when you're at the pub. Um, well, yeah, maybe maybe if you've been invited along to the wedding reception of someone who you know, but you don't really know their friends or family or other stuff. But basically mm-hmm. when you're thrust into a situation with a whole bunch of other people that aren't always necessarily your most intimate friends, if you like. Yeah. That's when things really get thrown out. I think we might be identifying where where some of that discomfort and isolation comes from in that a, a lot of the times when I felt worst is when that thing that you described a minute ago where people are, everyone else seems to be fine, but everyone else seems to be happy. Yes. Um, they would describe it that way if you asked them. <laughs> and you're in the middle and everyone seems to be more comfortable with what they're doing. And it's like they're all talking a different language from you yeah, suddenly. Yeah. You just don't, you, you can't relate to it. And the times when I have felt like that, it's been very much in relation to other people. It's not just that, oh, I'm depressed. I'm, I clearly was in a bad mood. I shouldn't have come out, although that has happened as well. Oh, yeah. Um, but the real isolation comes when it's like, well, everyone else is happy or knows how to get happy. Why don't I? The only times <laughs> I've been what you'd call happy, what you could describe as happy, have been when it's completely snuck up on me. That whole, that whole thing about how you don't, you never know how to get into a relationship. When you're single, you have no idea how to meet people. Um, and then suddenly you're with someone and you don't know how it happened most of the time. It just kind of happened. It just snuck up on you. It's that same sort of thing. It's the wanting it and the striving for it that puts so much pressure on me, certainly. Maybe that's why on those social situations when you felt, or, or, I mean, I, I don't just mean you, I just mean, you know, people. I mean, you've been there, I've been there for sure. But when the environment seems to be so far removed, because perhaps everyone else is, is determined to chase that happy that evening, and you had arrived just going, well, let's see what happens. That was enough to make the difference. It wasn't necessarily that you turned up feeling particularly glum. 
it's just that you came with the attitude of, okay, well, I'm out. Let's see what happens. You weren't demanding to have a great time. You're talking about fun as well. We've got to do this thing because it'll be fun. The (laughs) idea of enforced fun. That's a whole other show probably. Well, yeah, indeed. (laughs) It's almost exactly the same conversation. um... What ties into that and something that I did want to cover before we ran out of time is there are those people who are determined to chase it and make it happen. Um, And that's sort of related to, not opposed to, sort of related to those times where we will place a condition upon happiness, if you see what I mean. We don't allow happiness to exist as its own thing. It has to be an outcome from something. So if I pursue X, then happiness will come. If only I could do more of this, if only I could spend two hours a day writing, I would be happy. You know, let's pick on that as an example, because I'm sure it's probably something that you've thought about. You identify an activity that you're not doing enough of, or you identify a thing that you want to attain that will be the key that unlocks all of the abundance of happiness that must exist that you just don't have yet. Because, I mean, I know personally, I have certainly, I probably frittered away a lot of my 20s putting conditions upon happiness, thinking that I would have to achieve X, Y, and Z, and then happiness would exist. When people achieve the thing that they achieved, like they want to write 2,000 words a day, and they say to themselves, right, if I do this, I'm going to do this for a whole week and then they do it, are they actually feeling happiness or are they just feeling relief that they don't have to feel guilty about that thing? Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. That yeah. they don't have to feel guilty about having broken that promise because it's, in terms of work ethic and stuff like that, I'm not a very good writer because when I do it and when I enjoy it, it's because it's so easy that I don't even have to think about it. When something is occurring to me and it just kind of comes out and then I write it, is why I'm not great with editing, writing and stuff like that either. I never have to work at it when I do it, which is why I hardly ever do it. I only really know how to do it when I'm feeling it, when it's easy. But yeah, the, the, a lot a lot of those things that people tell themselves, I'll be happy if I only do this, we're back to that whole thing. of They're putting pressure on themselves. What they're really hoping is that they won't let themselves down. Yeah, I, I didn't know if it was going to tie in, but that you mentioned earlier on that made me think of a question was you're talking about sitting on the sofa watching TV uh, with your significant other. Amy and I definitely enjoy watching TV. We enjoy watching NAF TV. We enjoy watching good TV. One of the ways with which we measure the pastimes we do, and you just did it, we just did it when we were talking about writing, the conditional thing, is does it make you happy to do it? And the easy answer that most people would give is, well, yeah, it makes me happy to watch TV. That's why I do it. I achieve happiness by doing it. But do you really? Isn't it a different thing? Is pleasure and enjoyment a different thing from actual happiness? Doesn't it actually kind of render happiness redundant? It's not really an issue. Maybe there are the odd times when you go to the cinema and you go to the cinema and have a couple of drinks with friends and have a really nice meal and by the end of it, yeah, you're feeling this nice warm buzz. You've spent a good time with people you really like or love or whatever. But the actual act of watching a TV programme, well, we do it because we like it. But what does that have to do with happiness, really? Can you honestly say it makes you happy to... Not you. This sound, that sounds really challenging. <laughs> is me enjoying playing Shogun Total War 2 for five hours in a row, <laughs> definitely getting something pleasurable from it? Is it the same as happiness? Am I happy while I'm sitting there? Do you know, I'm chewing my own teeth a lot of the time when I'm doing things like that. I'm satisfying some sort of need. There's a, a need to be stimulated. 
now that once you ask the question, what is happiness? How do you go about chasing it? Should you go about chasing it? Then I have to start questioning all of these things. Because it yeah. feels like happiness is supposed to be a transcendent feeling. When we talk about it, it's a transcendent feeling. You know it when you feel it. It's nice. But it's not the same thing as contentment. Otherwise, they'd be called the same thing. They're exactly. very different things. And maybe it is just me. Most of the time, I'm chasing contentment. I am very happy when I'm spending time with my son. But it's mostly a surprise every single time. I didn't realise when I... Because, like, I got in the car. My wife came and fetched me from work. I got in the car. He was in the back. He was crying. And I felt guilty because I hadn't seen him in two days. I didn't get this rush of endorphins and stuff when I got in the car because I just I couldn't see his face and I just felt guilty that he was stuck in the car for longer because she'd come to fetch me. I didn't realise when I saw his face that suddenly I'd get this rush... I think tying in what you were talking about and, and mistaking pleasure for happiness was actually on my list. So I'm glad that we came to this. But one of the things I have certainly found myself doing over the years is as a form of escapism, seeking pleasure and mistaking that for happiness. You escape from something that you're not entirely satisfied with, like your working life or the way things are going in general. So that becomes relief. And you go through that route by doing, and this is something that I would fall victim to every now and then, by spending a good portion of most evenings picking up the Xbox controller and just playing a game. Because you have an intense focus on what you're doing, and while you are in that act, you are wrapped in it, you're having a great time, it's, it's, it's an instant pleasure, and then you put down the controller and you're done, and maybe you go to bed, or maybe you do some reading or whatever. But the thing that would always come to me afterwards was a feeling of guilt, because I, I knew deep down inside there was something else I should have been doing. And on a, on a kind of a greater, perhaps more existential level, that this would tie into an episode on procrastination that I'm sure we will be doing <laughs> at some point in the future. But We keep putting it off. Yeah, funny <laughs> that. Um, in, in the back of my mind, I know that there would be things that I could do with my spare time that would actually make me happier. But in, instead I choose a, a quicker pleasure because that tricks me into feeling happy right now. Perhaps that concept of contentment is the ability to be able to look back at happy memories and and feeling not like you won or that you've got more of them than anything else, but that they were all there for the right reasons. Mm. Thinking that this one thing that makes you happy right now is going to mean that you are happy. In actual fact, often on reflection, you think, well, that, you know, that was fine, but I could have been doing something that was more beneficial spiritually, like writing or drawing or making music or something that, you know, because because your personality type means that that's where your satisfaction comes from, you know? It goes on the understanding that I think is false, that each minute is an equal quantity to every other minute and that like if you didn't spend it here you'd be spending it there and that isn't the way time really works or no. the way our lives work. It, it ties into the narcotic effect of the pursuit of these things and the actual emotions themselves again mm, because yeah. when you're talking about the video games when i'm doing that there are two very different things going on one is the guilt that i could be doing something else but for me I pretty much alluded to it by accident when I was talking about Total War earlier on because <laughs> you don't play that game for an hour, you play it for five hours. And the the two things I feel whenever I'm doing anything, and maybe I do have an addictive 
personality that like on the one hand I feel guilty that I could be doing something else that would give me a deeper sense of satisfaction but on the other I just want to keep doing more of this and I know I'm not going to be doing I'm not going to be able to at some point I'm going to have to stop to eat or sleep or something but like you keep doing that because it's easy and it's not quite as satisfying you know that there's this more satisfying version of this feeling you're getting but at the same time you want to keep doing this 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 feels really good Mm. it's just a weird roller coaster it never ends does it chasing after that thing you're constantly chasing after it back to what i was saying at the beginning that like um it seems like a bit of a mugs game when i think of the people i know who would describe themselves as happy this probably says more about me than anything else half the time i think either they're just too dumb to know any better or they're lying to themselves (laughs) which is awful i think this subject's making me really depressed but it's good because these are important things to question in the West, especially. These are the things that we're supposed to be chasing after. We don't like to think of ourselves as being the slave of our emotions. This relates to a conversation I had with someone today. He doesn't, doesn't like to think of himself as, this is all secondhand, but he was saying police profilers have worked out that most people, they only really go to two or three places on a regular basis. They, they're at work or they're at home or they're at the same two or three shops most of the time. I and mean, you just keep, kind of keep going backwards and forwards between these different places. We're really not that complicated. <laughs> In some ways we do follow paths and we're all very similar to each other in that we do all of these things and we don't like to think of ourselves like that and that goes hand in hand with the fact that we don't like to feel like we're slaves to our drives and maybe the pursuit of happiness is just us thinking we can master this emotion when actually we can't and a lot of our i want to say unhappiness but what i mean is frustration a lot of the stress and frustration and the ways that we don't feel we measure up are about these things that you just can't really control especially in this modern kind of first world western world in which we live there's so much on a superficial level that's about happiness A lot of that, unsurprisingly, has to do with advertising and the selling of product, which grinds the gears of industry and and keeps the money flowing. You know, there's Mm. so much of the world around us is about taking our money and exchanging it for a product or service, which hopefully has the byproduct of happiness. They'd like to tell you it's, it's long lasting, but, you know, we all know that it's actually only temporary whole industries exist selling you chocolate bars and sweets well (laughs) happiness doesn't last very long and uh, you get to a certain age and you don't even feel the sugar rush anymore through that sort of a life we're almost being told that we're not happy enough we're not thinking clearly about what we have and the life we live now because everything around us is telling us if only we were thinner if only we were younger if only we had more money if only these superficial things created a different life for us, we could become happier, therefore better. That tricks us into questioning whether we are happy or not and whether we should be chasing a particular happy. And I think that it's too easy to be tricked to run down these particular routes as the source of happiness. Yes, we need shelter. Yes, we need work. Uh, Yes, we need to dress up in some clothes in order to not get arrested. And so we have to go down particular routes in order to attain things that give us some sort of security and protection. But to conflate and confuse that with sources of happiness is actually quite dangerous 
you get sold on on I don't want to say a lie, but you get you get sold on a fabrication of what the housing market can do for you. I don't want to go too far down this road because I'm trying to wrap up, but I don't want to, you know, it's not a, it's it's not about the man keeping us down and putting us in our place or anything like that. But there is there are just so many tricks out there that are helping to feed certain wheels and keep them turning that if we're not careful we go down these routes of fake happiness and we can never really pull ourselves back out of them correctly i think uh, you, what, what you what i think you're you're kind of getting at what you've certainly made me think of is that we're living an inverted in the context of happiness we're living an inverted model of the way it's supposed to be the way it's supposed to be man <laughs> um, <laughs> for the longest time certainly for the last two or three hundred years there has been a lot of pressure to people to live in traditional ways but there's kind of this idea that maybe in the past the way it worked was you hunted enough meat or you provided enough food uh, for yourself and then you met someone that you fell in love with you didn't have a type you didn't go out looking and go on speed dates or, or whatever. Um, you you met someone and fell in love. You didn't go looking for someone to fall in love because it just happens naturally. You yeah. know, you you all find someone and the various different parts of your characters will fit. Generally, that's why they always say you find the person when you're not looking for them. That's that's how that happens. It isn't like some magical thing. It's just that we're kind of built to find someone and go and you'll do and stick with them. <laughs> so you find the food, you get the partner, you maybe have the kids. So that's that biological imperative satisfied. And you find the shelter or you buy the shelter. You maybe have to work to do that. This gets complicated the more, the closer to the modern day you get. But then you get to this state where things are kind of all moving. Okay, you might have to work quite hard to sustain it. You might have to hunt. It might be dangerous. Life might be hard. But you've got all of these things. The different ducks are in a row. You've been hitting all the drums in different order and suddenly you're actually finding a rhythm. And at that point, you're no longer trying to work out how to satisfy these different needs you're just satisfying them and at that point you're what we are referring to as happy and that's how it was for the longest time but then at some point it changed so it wasn't just that eventually you got your ducks in a row the needs were what were driving you and then eventually they all went in sync and you were happy or what passed for it until one of you died or something like that, until something awful happened, like your house got blown away by a flood or something. At some point, and certainly I think this is the situation we're at now, the needs aren't what dri- what's driving us. It's the getting all our ducks in a row that's driving us. That's back to that conditional happiness you were talking about, I think. We're not getting a house and getting a partner and getting the kids and buying a car because we're feeling this urge to do those things a lot of the time. We're doing it because we're supposed to, because we have decided or we've been told that this is what you do to achieve happiness. But the happiness was a byproduct of not having to worry about all of that stuff quite so much anymore. And now we're doing it, but we don't necessarily know why we're doing it. We're not satisfying these needs in ourselves. We're satisfying these needs that are thrown at us from outside, which I think is has ended up being a function of advertising and stuff like that, the way I think you were describing before, but goes back to your parents tell you you have to buy a house and, and like get married and have a kid. You're not mm. doing it because it's what comes naturally anymore. You're doing it because it's what you're supposed to do because that's happy people are people who do all of these things. Oof. Sounded like a rant at the end. 
It's because it was a bit of a runaway train. <laughs> no, that was a good. That was a good big finish. Are you happy with that? Yeah, yeah. The uh, the thing that you uh, earlier on you said. I hope this. Uh, you know, I didn't. I, I don't expect this to become a podcast where we just talk about the things that make us happy. And ever since you said that, I've had this image of in an alternate universe, uh, Christopher Biggins and Timmy Mallet <laughs> recording that exact podcast. And I don't know why them too, but it's just been stuck in my head ever since. Uh, I wouldn't mind hearing that podcast, really. <laughs> well, for the first few minutes, and then it'd probably become a bit insufferable. Well, that de- I mean, that depends, though, doesn't it? Because what you're picturing is the Christopher Biggins and the Timmy Mallet of the children's television that you grew up with, and, and yeah. not necessarily the Christopher Biggins and the Timmy Mallet of today that might have quite different stories. Or perhaps the Christopher Biggins and uh, Timmy Mallet of tomorrow who might have been you, Treed. <laughs> well, that's true. Just don't do it to me. I suspect that the annoying happiness that we registered in them was, and all children's TV presenters actually, (laughs) is probably the result of very heavy drugs. (laughs) 